The gospel this morning is from Matthew chapter 15. Jesus left that place and went away to the district of Tyre and Sidon. Just then a Canaanite woman from that region came out and started shouting, have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is tormented by a demon. But he did not answer her at all. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, send her away, for she keeps shouting after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. He answered, is it not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs? She said, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, woman, great is your faith. Let it be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed instantly. This is the gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Thad. It was just a year ago, I was in Budapest, Hungary, as a part of an international Habitat for Humanity build. Our group was gifted time to explore the city, and in the heart of the city is Hero Square, where these enormous statues of Hungarian leaders line the paved area, each one represented by what they were known for, conquest or intellect. The statues are spectacular, exquisitely formed. It's this marvelous commemoration of glory and power that cannot be missed when you visit that country. On the other side of the Danube River is the shoes on the Danube Promenade Memorial. When Hitler overthrew the Hungarian government in 1944, approximately 20,000 Jews were brutally shot along the banks of the Danube. The victims were forced to remove their shoes at gunpoint, shoes being a valuable commodity during World War II. And then they had to face their executioner before they were shot without mercy, falling over the edge to be washed away in the freezing waters. This seemingly small memorial, a haunting tribute to this horrific time in history, and it was created by two individuals, a film director and a sculptor. The monument consists of 60 pairs of 1940-style shoes, true to life in size and detail, sculpted out of iron, installed along the banks of this river. When I sat there and saw it for myself, I wondered about the artists who created it. What was in their heart to push them to create this memorial, knowing that it paled in comparison to the magnificence of iron sculptures and marbled churches and parliament buildings? As I sat there, I wondered if they had to scrap together enough money to make this happen, and if they doubted that it would have meaning if anyone would even come. But even in their doubt and questioning, they took the risk, maybe, because the people who wore those shoes, 
who were seen as flawed and unworthy mattered. Their story needed to be told and remembered along with all these revered kings across the city. I doubt this Canaanite mother and her story would make the list of top 10 Bible stories. Here, tucked in the Gospels of Mark and Matthew, is a short telling of a Gentile woman, an indigenous outsider, who somehow pursues Jesus. Matthew writes that she screamed out her plea, have mercy on me, Lord, son of David, for my daughter is possessed by a demon. Jesus doesn't immediately respond to her. The disciples are completely annoyed and beg for her to go, yet she persists and speaks into the awkward silence and the shushing with yet another plea. She dares to engage with Jesus, clinging on to some crazy hope that even a crumble of God's mercy will be enough to save her kid. I wonder what pushed her that morning to go and even find Jesus in the first place. The odds were against her. She wasn't a Jew, not one of the chosen people of God who were waiting for a Messiah to come. How did she hear about Jesus anyway? And how could she possibly think that a woman, an outsider, a poor beggar, even could have a box on the organizational chart of worldly and religious power? How could she be deserving of God's mercy? It was so gutsy. Maybe it was her daughter's struggle that got her to that point, to even try because she knew in her bones that her daughter's life mattered and that somehow this Jesus who had come to heal forgotten people would affirm this as well. But did you notice that Jesus doesn't seem so eager to hear her story or even give her the time of day? But he can't help and not notice her persistence. She keeps pushing the conversation even when it's clear that her chances are slim. But in her heart, she dares to believe in a love that cannot be measured by weight or loaves or even slices. She says even the dogs eat the crumbs under the table. And she says it without hesitation. Jesus is silenced again, although this time by the woman's faith-filled response. Matthew doesn't write about that pause, but you can feel it. And then Jesus speaks, woman, great is your faith. Let it be done for you as you wish. In no other place in the entire New Testament is anyone called great in faith. The disciples, the ones who choose to follow, who will go on to start the Christian church, are called out by Jesus for their little faith. This unnamed gutsy mother is the one of great faith. She is our saint of mercy the saint of crumbs. 
Honestly, dear Mount Olivet, it seems like all we have these days is scrappy persistence. We have muttered prayer upon prayer. Save me, save us, how long, O Lord, we pray. Our protesting cries for racial justice seem to fall away as our city seeks to get intersections and parks back to normal. We are weary with impending elections, an unpredictable virus shutting off the connection we so desperately need. People are dying. Our isolation is causing physical, emotional, and financial hardship. Administrators, teachers, kids, and families are so anxious about what will happen with school. We wonder, do these prayers and our small efforts even matter? It's so easy to get paralyzed that think that any idea is worth taking these days, that a conversation is worth having, that a prayer is worth praying. What we offer doesn't seem to be enough to move this mountain of uncertainty, inequity, and despair that's outside our window. A friend of mine connected me to healing our city. Two community leaders had the idea to pitch a big tent in the parking lot on Broadway and invite anyone to come throughout the day, each day of July, to pray in silence for eight minutes and 45 seconds. The marking of a silent prayer to remember how long the knee of a police officer was pressed into George Floyd's neck, killing him. The hustle of this broken and beautiful city swept by the tent for the month of July. Evidence of burning lingered close by. Drug deals still happened on street corners. Yet people heard about this space for prayer, and they came. And miraculously, someone commissioned these blank canvases for local artists to express grief and hope through their painting. People unknown offered to set up chairs in the morning that would need to be hauled back to a storage container at dusk. Things have to be, had to be shifted mid-month to ensure there were enough volunteers to host this endeavor. Yet this prayer time persisted. And for now, we can't know its full impact. But somebody trusted that an idea for space for people to pray in silence on behalf of someone else could change the city and that even though the idea was not fully figured out as it began, there was a morsel of faith that a way could be made and even an unformed idea might be the beginning of healing. I think this mother persisted and pushed because she knew her daughter mattered and that even if she was not of Jewish heritage, that the mercy of God was wide enough to even envelop her. She is our teacher, our role model of faith. And you know what? God's kingdom was made known on that day thousands of years ago. Jesus spoke and acted on account of this mother. There are no measurements of faith. A crumb of God's mercy is enough to heal and enough to change the course of history to usher in 
the kingdom of God. There is a message that is being drummed into Christian hearts that says we need to protect Christian values that when we extend God's mercy and love to other people who may be different in race, religion, gender, and sexual orientation, this means there won't be enough for those who fit a prescribed mold of what white Christian values need to be. They fear that Christianity will lose power, that the way will be lost. This belief is centered on scarcity and a lack of faith in what we just heard in this story. Jesus could have denied this mother mercy because she was a woman and different from those who followed Jesus. But against all odds, this woman tipped the cup because she acted for the sake of someone else. Someone whose story would never be told otherwise. Someone who was worthy of abundant life. And Jesus, who seems to initially hold back, instead pours the cup of mercy and generously breaks the bread of life. Not just for the Jews, but for others as well. Jesus continued to cross supposed boundaries after this story, his healing to other outsiders. And we come to hear, even when that was extended, no one else received any less. It's an inexhaustible love and one that can miraculously multiply as we heard before so all can be, be fed, healed, and saved. What are you about to give up on? What's feeling scarce in your life? What is an idea that's tugging on your heart right now? Come screaming if you need to and hear this. The creator of the world, the word made flesh, the savior of all nations sees your persistence and your unfinished idea and invites you to trust that a morsel of mercy can change the world, and it will reveal the mercy of Almighty God. So I keep searching stained glass windows, even in the most magnificent cathedrals, for this Canaanite mother to be commemorated. But I doubt I'll find her on colored glass or sleek marble statues. Instead, I think she will be found under every altar, on her knees in reverence and gutsy hope, trusting that even a crumb of God's mercy is enough to heal. This, Mount Olivet, is great faith. Amen. <laughs>